Hi, welcome to the Refuge House broadcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Here at the Refuge House, we help people discover their God-given uniqueness through the teaching of God's word so that they can be empowered to make a difference and impact the world for Christ. So here's what you need to do. We need you to grab your Bible, your notebook, your pens, and then get ready for a powerful message and see what God is going to do. I believe there are people in your life that probably need this message. So go ahead and share this to them and invite them to be a part of what God is doing today. Thank you and enjoy this week's message. I'll test men and reduce the strength of men. Now, let me quickly say something about strength, and I want you to understand this. Um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, so you know that Satan is behind this whole thing. Jesus said to Simon, Lord, the Lord said to Simon, 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 behold, Satan had desired to have you, that he may sift you. The word sift means to riddle. When you riddle something, you shake. How many of you have seen where they separate shaft from either corn or rice? You know, there's something they use. There's this sifter. They will start shifting it. it that, that action of sifting is called riddling. You shake it until there's a separation between the hawks and the seed. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. So, so Jesus was telling Satan, I mean, uh, Simon, Satan wants to sift you. He wants to shake you to a point until he separates you from your strength. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He wants to sift you to a point where he isolates you from your strength. He says, but I have prayed for thee that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, what did he say? Strengthen your brain. So it is a strength attack. When you are converted, what do you do? Strengthen your brethren. Many of you don't understand that the test and the challenges you're going through, behind the issues that you are fixated on, Satan is actually attacking your strength. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's attacking your strength. Because, let me say this, a man's survivor when I use the word man, I hope you know I'm referring to male and female. I hope you know that. Because the word man is a dam. It means male and female. So it's not talking about one sex. Okay? So when I use the word man, you understand we're talking about male and what? Female. A man's survivor in the end time, note this, is directly dependent on his level of strength. Your survivor is a function of your strength. Say that when we say my survivor, my survivor. is a function of my strength. I'm not hearing everybody say that. Say my survivor, my survivor. is a function of my strength. Yeah. Uh, now, what, what does, when I use the word strength, what do I mean? Write this down. This will help you. What do I mean by, by strength? I'm, I'm going to explain that shortly. But let me say this. Our strength level reveals the level of the activity of our faith. Did you understand what I mean? Your, your strength is directly proportional to the activity of your faith. So in other words, when, when you walk by faith, your faith is your strength. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your faith is what? Yeah. So when, but I'm going to explain what I mean by strength. But when we talk about strength level, we're talking about the level of your faith engagement. You are strong to the level that your faith operates or walk by. Because we are, we, are, we are saved to live by faith. 
the area you are living by faith, strength will speak. But those areas you are not walking or living by faith, there will be no strength there. Because your faith enables you to engage the strength of God in your life. Say amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That, that, that's the relation I want you to get. I'm going to tell you what strength means, but your strength level shows the level of your faith activity. You are strengthened to the degree that your faith is active. If your faith is not active in your finances, you'll be weak in that area. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You get that? If your faith is not active in your family, you're going to be weak in that area because faith engages the strength of God in the areas of your life. Am I making any sense? So when Jesus prayed, notice the relationship. Because in that same verse, he says, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you are converted, what do you do? Strengthen the brethren. So a faith failure is a strength failure. Do you understand that? And what do I mean by faith failure? It means you stop believing God. You start walking by your senses. You start walking by your experiences. And you start walking by the system of the world. You know the reason why some people don't take God serious? is because they believe that this world that you and I live in is going to reward them. Yeah, they believe so much in their education. They believe in their job. They believe in their connection. They believe in their business. They believe in the, you know, what they, what they put here. And they believe that this world system will reward them. But that's a deception in itself. Because the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, including your business. Are you hearing me? He said, but not one jot of my word will do what? Will pass. God did not bring us into this world so we can get attached. That's why Paul told Timothy. He said, anybody who comes into this world or a soldier that goes to war and entangles himself with the affairs of this life will end up not pleasing the one who sent him. Is that not true? Ask your neighbor, what are you attached to? Look at the person, what are you entangled with? See, see, the, the Satan's strategy in the end time is to create situations, circumstances, and, and some of them may, may, may be tough, some of them may be deceptively tough. That means on a level, they don't look tough, but they are drawing your strength away from you. You just notice that you don't have... You don't have um, interest for God anymore. You, you don't like to pray anymore. You don't, like to, you don't like to fellowship with the Holy Spirit anymore. Listening to a message is becoming a problem. Why? Because your strength is gradually being what? It's being sapped away. It's going. It's going. Your, your flair for God is going. It's gone. All of a sudden, you now start struggling. You want to pray as if God is very far. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, your strength has been deflated. Glory to God. Now hear this. Here it is. Proverbs, go to Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 11. Holy Spirit, help me get this across. Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 10. Not 11, sorry. A wise man is strong. A wise man is strong. Then he explains why a wise man is strong. He said, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. Is that not so? Then go to verse 10. If thou faint or give up, in the day of adversity, adversity means tough, harsh, troublesome times. If you faint or you give up or you become tired in the day of adversity, why? Is it because of the adversity? No, your strength 
is small. Now go back to verse 5. Why is your strength small? A man of knowledge increases strength. So that means your strength is small because your knowledge is what? Small. Did you get that? So what you know determines the level of your strength. So if you're going to a person that your, your connection with the word, the, the preaching of the word, the hearing of the word, the meditation and the study of the word, if it's very weak, your strength will be small. And if your strength is small, when challenges come, tough time comes, you will fail. That's why you hear certain crises happen. You will not believe some Christians will make some decisions. And you wonder, is this person, was he ever saved? Like, like there was a situation of a very popular worship leader that is known globally, and he just came on and said, he said, this Christianity is fake. There is no Christian anymore. And people were like, how can I manage? I say, why are you guys acting surprised? He was never saved. Do you understand what I mean? He was what? He was one of those people that entered church and just started learning the language, and they found that he was very skillful. He had a good voice. He could sing very well, but he had no personal relationship with God. So he was weak in that area. He didn't have any relationship with God. Because if you know God, you don't know God and retire from God. That's impossible. You can't now. Nah. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. I said hallelujah. Amen. So the only way to survive the adversity of the last days is to be a man of strength. What did I say? A man of what? Strength. And strength is an internal heart issue. It got nothing to do with your looks. The only way to survive the adversity, it doesn't matter what is thrown against you. The only way to survive the adversity of the last days is to be a man, a male or female, of strength. Now, what does strength refers to? Write this down. This is what I want you to get. I've used different applications of strength to relate to you the importance and the place of strength. Now, let me tell you what strength actually represents. What is strength? Write this down. Strength is the ability of Christ's grace at work in your life. What did I call it? The ability of Christ's grace at work in your life. Say that when you say strength is the ability of God's grace at work in my life. Say that when you say strength is the ability of Christ's grace at work in my life. Is that, is that simple enough? So when you hear the Bible say, I can do all things through Christ, which word? What is that strength? The ability of his grace that is what? At work in my life. And it can increase. Are you hearing me? Tell your neighbor, say strength are in levels. Just as grace has levels. Grace is unlimited in its supply. But there are levels of grace. That's what the Bible says. Grow in grace and what? And in the knowledge of Christ. So to grow in grace is to grow in strength. Did you hear what I'm saying? Ask your neighbor, what level of grace is at work in your life? Because hear me, brothers and sisters, tough times are here. Hello? Tough times are here. And they will test everyone. Nobody's exempted. As long as you are here, you're going to be tested. But if you're going to survive the adversity of the end times, brothers and sisters, you have to be a man of strength. Say, I hear you. Strength is in level, and each level is determined by the knowledge of the truth that we have. Number one. Tell the number say the knowledge of the truth that you have. It's not enough to know the truth, but you must engage the truth. Are you hearing me? Did you hear what I said? You see, I made two statements, and sometimes we, we group them together. The level of strength at work in your life is determined by the knowledge of the truth you have. 
When I use the word have, number one, which you have discovered, you have known, that's number one. But if it's going to benefit you, you must engage it by faith. Is that clear? Hello? Because faith without works is, is there. Many people claim to know things, but it's not working in their life. Why? Because they're not engaging it. They don't believe it. They're not applying faith to it. And, and if you've been in church for a while, you will understand that we've talked about the actions of faith. And that the first actions of faith begins with what you say with your mouth. Am I making any sense? Come on, say glory to God. Let me show you two scriptures to establish that. And I begin to tie this up. Daniel 11.32, it says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by what? Flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploit. The people that know their God, so the Bible ties the relationship between strength and knowledge. Did you hear what I said? Remember, strength refers to the ability of Christ's grace at work in you. Is that not true? So strength is what? The ability of Christ's grace that is at work in my life. And it's in levels. And that each level you operate determine, depends on the knowledge of the truth that you have. And we saw from uh, Daniel 11, 32, they that do know their God shall be strong and they will do what? Explore. Somebody say glory to God. Now go to 1 John 5 and verse 13. Make sure you're writing the scriptures down and you can cut, but just make sure you write them down. And if it's on the screen, fine. You can listen to me, read them. Because I'm trying to use the Bible to, to, to defend the statement I made. That the, the level of strength that is at work in your life is determined by the knowledge of the truth you have and engage by faith. Hallelujah. It's not enough to know that God is a deliverer. Does he deliver you? Hello? Yeah, is his deliverance working in your life? Because if it's not working in your life, then it's not beneficial to you. Is that not true? Aha. Uh -huh. Glory to God. It's not enough to know that God is a healer. Do you appropriate his healing in your life? It's not enough to know that God supplies. Are you experiencing his supply? Now, if you're going to engage what has been provided, it has to be by faith. Say amen. amen. First John 5, 13. Are you there? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you believe it? Then this is for you. Now, first of all, that you may know, glory to God, that you have eternal life. Say, I have eternal life. What is eternal life? The God life. The God kind of life. When you got born again, you became a partaker of that life. You have. The word have means you possess it now. Say, I have eternal life. The life of God is God himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is eternal life. So, do you believe in the name of Jesus? I do. Then know that you have eternal life. Say it three times. Say, I have eternal life. Glory to God. So it's in you. But eternal life, Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. That word abundance means an outflow 
of that life. Listen to the way the Bible puts That's why the Holy Ghost came into your life. The Spirit of God came into your life to cause God's life to flow through you into every areas of your life and through your life. He said, out of your belly shall flow wars. So that rivers is eternal life. It, it is likening the life of God to a flow of a river. If you read the book of Revelation, the Bible calls that there's a river that flows from the throne of God. And that when it flows through the sea, it's healing to the nation. Why? Because the life of God is God's health. Say amen. amen. The life of God is God's salvation, God's provision, and everything good that God has to offer. Say amen. amen. But the important thing, no, you have it. Yes, I do. But it didn't stop there. And, everybody say and. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, is that a repetition? No, it is not. Because you believe in Jesus, you receive eternal life. Is that not so? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not, but will have. Now you have it. Glory to God. You believe to be saved. Is that not so? But you must believe to apply eternal life. Do you understand that? You have to believe to do what? Because many of you don't believe what God has given you. That's why it's not working. You're used to your senses. You believe your senses because you're used to doing you. You're used to doing your senses. You're used to doing your experience. But you need to begin to learn how to exercise your faith in God's word so you don't make your waiting in vain. There are many believers who are waiting in vain. Why do I use waiting in vain? They are not waiting in faith. Patience, it's not just hoping one day God will sorry for me. No. Patience is remaining consistent in your faith stand until it manifests. That's what patience means. Another word for patience is called endurance. Endurance doesn't mean I'm going to manage till God will see me. Uh -uh. Endurance is remaining consistent in your faith stand until it manifests. Say amen. amen. So, so you get this very clear. God wants you to know you have eternal life, but he also wants you to know that you need to believe that life that you carry so it can flow and speak in every area of your life. Say amen. Now, notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, where we read, when the Bible began to list out what those perilous times are. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, it reveals the aim of the adversities of the last days. At the beginning of 2 Timothy 3, 2. If you can put that back, that will help. 2 Timothy 3, 2. Notice in 2 Timothy, let me read it for you. It says, for men shall be lovers of their own self. The Bible uses the word own self, making the emphasis key. Men shall be lovers of their own self. Now, this is what I want you to get. 2 Timothy 3 to reveal the aim of the adversities of the last days before listing the weapons that will be used. Are you hearing me? The aim of the perilous time is to get men, which means male and female, to be lovers of their own self. Because that's how he walked in the garden of Eden against Eve. Lovers of them, their own self. Now, the Greek word for lovers of their own self, it means to be in love with yourself. Tell your neighbor that you were not created to be in love with yourself. Mm -mm. I don't care how the word has repackaged and sold that to you. So you hear people say, I do me. Have you heard people say like that? I, I do me. I, I have my own truth. You have your truth. I have my own truth. If you are a creator, I will listen to you. If they born you like me, you don't have the power to say truth. Do you understand me? Did you hear what I said? 
Is there any of us here that was not born? Ask your neighbor, were you not born? As far as you were born, you don't have the capacity to formulate your truth. You better go and discover what God says and align your life very fast. It's like a, a child that was born in Pakistan. As he came out of his mother's womb, they heard AK-47. Then that was how he came. Then when he was growing on his first birthday, as they were saying happy birthday to him, there was another bomb again. Then when he's now five years, he had the gun. You know, after that, he will get used to it. You know that. Eh? Because he was born in war. Now, is it wise for the child to ask, why is there war? Eh? Why is there fighting everywhere? Be asking a question until one bullet will come and kill you. You were born there. What do you do? Survive. Did you hear what I said? What do you do? Survive. There are some questions the Bible describes as foolish questions. Because they don't help your survivor. Did you hear what I said? Satan's goal from beginning when he introduced the temptation. You see, the, the, Satan's temptation is just three. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. There's no difference. That's what he uses all the time. It's the same thing he used on Jesus Christ. The goal of the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is to get men to become lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves means you shift your attention from God and you put it on where? Yourself. Because when you are not looking at God, hello, you become a God to your... Yeah, that's where idolatry started from. It didn't start with um, calf. Do you know those carvings they were making was a subtle deception of Satan? To shift their mind from God to an alternative. But the real goal was to shift the mind of man from God to where? Himself. The, 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 what do you call it? The shrine, the, the carvings and all those images are just the deception. But the real goal is to get men to be lovers of themselves. Because Satan cannot control a man until the man is in love with himself. Because when you are in love with yourself, you become blind. You are now functioning against intent and design. So you become blind. So it's easy for Satan to manipulate you. It's easy for him to depress you because you've lost a sense of focus and purpose. Am I making any sense? There are two meanings of the word lovers themselves. It means this. Number one, loving oneself. Number two, too intent or fixated on one's interest. That's another meaning for the word selfishness. See, I hear you. Now, hear this. The devil knows that when men love themselves, they focus and pursue their own interest. It is called the pride of life. So you hear people say, after I don't suffer, suffer with my sweat. Come work, get my money. You come, they won't tell me rubbish. I don't blame you. Can I ask you a question? The air you are breathing, are you paying for it? Excuse me, you didn't answer me. The sleep you are sleeping, are you paying for the sleep? Is it you that put yourself to sleep? When you sleep, do you know where you are? Till you wake up, who wakes you up? I'm trying to explain, help you understand the stupidity of some claims we make as men. One day, Jesus gave an example of a man who was very wealthy and he had achieved a lot of feats. And, and he said, oh, my soul, eat, be merry. Tomorrow we continue with the enjoyment. Then God said to him, you are a fool. 
Say, this night, that life that you carry, I will collect it from you. He said, then you will tell me what will become of all this your achievement. Never ever forget that God owns it all. Say amen. amen. You know what Paul says? He said, naked we came, naked we leave. You don't bring anything up. So don't allow the things you met here to become so, you know, so much that you are now forgetting the one who brought you here. Hello? Because that's why some of you are not happy again. Because of things. Everybody say things. Yeah. Things. Stuff. Stuff. Things. Things. Things people will die and leave. That's what they're fighting for. Job that people will die and leave or the job will, the company will fold up. That's why people are hating themselves, backstabbing, betraying people for. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Government that only one administration has eight years. They are killing themselves for it. Then one governor will sit down and he will not care. It's just eight years. How many years? It's eight years. When he finishes, somebody met one time governor of a state in Abuja, a friend of mine. He said he just entered the lift. And he was a governor of one of these states. I don't want to call the name. He said he looked at him. He was, that is, he was, nobody was with him or he was walking alone. And, and there, there are some people, when, when they go to the airport, I, I, when they travel a few times, and, and you see a former president or a former minister, and it's his passing, nobody wants to, people, don't, they don't even want to look at his face because of how he, how he lived and how he led. But there were some who made a difference. The moment they see them, they go and carry their bag. Have you not seen something like that? They carry their bag. How are you, sir? How's your family? I hope you're fine. Like, okay, I'm fine. Why? Because that one used the office to make a difference. But the other ones that are lovers of themselves use the office to dress themselves and forget that they will not stay there forever. That's all problem of lovers of themselves. Now, hear this it is called the pride of life. It, is, it was the weapon he used on Eve and succeeded. He tried it on Christ, but it failed. Why? Because Jesus was focused on pleasing the Father and not himself. The only way to, listen to me, the only way to avoid the entrapment of the pride of life is to focus on Jesus, not you. If you focus on you, it will catch you. Let me show you what Jesus did. John 8, 29. This was Jesus' immunity against Satan's attack. That's why I said, the prince of this world cometh, but he has nothing in me. Why? Because he didn't live to please him, he lived to please the Father. That's why love, it's not about you. It's not about your feeling. Love, it's the choice to make a difference in somebody's life. And, and it, it, that's when you really are living. One of the things we want to do in this Thanksgiving, I, I told some of you, if you know, if your selfish quotient is very high, I'm telling you what I said you will know here. Something inside your selfishness will tell you, no, my pastor, you don't know what they go through. You don't know what they apotrose. They don't give me. They don't give me. They don't give me. They don't give me. You won't say it out of, but that's what it would speak in your heart. But true living has been a blessing. Are you hearing me? Because we, we're not created in life to be a tank. We're created to be a channel. Did you hear what I said? That's why some things are not changing in your life. Because you are in love with your own self. You have given personal definition for the department of your life. My code. My fever. My cough, those are evidence of people who I love myself. My cold, my pain. And that's, they've so personalized it. 
So, you know, this, this season, now my kata, as a matter the corner, I'll get my kata. I'll get my kata. And you don't even know. When you're in love with yourself, you only use people. So, if you're married to a woman, you will use the woman. If you're married to a man, you will use the man. You didn't marry because of love. You, nothing as, as horrible as someone who is in love with his own self. Your looks are more important to you than even the relationship. I mean, not this woman, not since I didn't know my makeup, but the following you talk now, no, do I wear? <laughs> Hello. I'm telling you these are serious issues. When I, I, I you will understand these are war of ingratitude. Listen. John 8, 29, it says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I do always those things that what pleases him. Until you live for a greater cause than yourself, you are not living. You are just existing. That's why if life is about you, yourself, and I incorporated, you are not living, you are just existing. Please hear this. The devil seeks to make life and issues about us. How we feel. How does it benefit us? How does it please us? He makes men focus on the pursuit of their own interests and camouflages this behind nice sounding names. Some of them are becoming motivational speeches now. But it's all about glorifying self. The devil does not want men to seek God's will for their life. No. Hence, the only way to resist this temptation from the enemy is by the knowledge of the truth. Salvation through Christ offers man freedom from the self-life. Say, I hear you. Let me read the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. Salvation through Christ offers man freedom from the selfish life. He says, Paul at a point explained to the Corinthian church. He said, when you see us behaving as if, you know, we're acting as if we don't have any plan for our life. Have you seen people like that? It's as if they don't have a plan for their life. He said, when you see us acting behind our, beside ourselves, it is to God or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. When we are doing what we're doing, we're not doing it for personal interest. We're doing it because of God. And we're doing it to be a blessing to your life. Look at verse 14. Are you there? It says, for the love of Christ constrains. That word constrain, it's not the English word for constrain as limiting you. It means it overmasters us. It has reconditioned us. Say amen. You cannot test the love of God and live a selfish life. No. Because there's no selfishness in Christ. Say amen. Because if Christ was selfish, he wouldn't have died for us. Is that not true? Yeah. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, that's Jesus, then we're all dead. Verse 15. Can we read verse 15 together? And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Again. Tell anybody, say, stop living for yourself and start living for him. Write this down, the weapon of ingratitude. We've looked at the war of ingratitude let's look at the weapon one of the weapons that the enemy uses in the last days to tempt men with the lust of the eyes lust of the flesh and the pride of life is being unthankful that's what i'm going to focus on right now it's been what 
unthankful. What does it mean to be unthankful? To be unthankful means to be ungrateful, to be unsatisfied, to treat with contempt or disregard. Please hear me. Being unthankful is one of the adversities of the last days. What did I say? He said when you fail in the day of adversity, what is it? Your strength is small. And one of the adversity is being unthankful. Hear me and hear me well. The root of being unthankful or ungrateful or ingratitude, they mean the same thing. The root of being ungrateful, being unthankful, whether towards God or towards man, is rooted in 2 Timothy 3 verse 2, which we just read. In this expression, men shall be lovers of their own, not self, yeah, self, you know, own self. To make you understand the emphasis. When we are focused on ourselves, we are bound to be ungrateful because the world now starts existing around us. Is that not true? Do you understand what I mean by that? There are people that, they, the way they think about themselves, nothing else exists. Please hear this. To be, when we are focused on ourselves, we are bound to be ungrateful. To a selfish man, nothing is enough. What did I say? Nothing. When you are selfish, nothing is enough. There is this unsearchable greed for more. And I always ask them, how much is more? Hello? How much is what? How much is more? If you fall inside that road, there's no end to that journey. How much is what? How much is more? You have this job, they pay you 200,000. You want a job of 500,000. You get a job of 500,000. You want a job of 1 million. After they pay you 1 million, you want a job of 1.2 million. So if it is money that is determining the job you offer, then you are on a fast pain lane that has no end. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want to show you some examples in scripture about the how ingratitude destroyed certain people in the Bible. And you should not fall to that. Turn your Bible to Ezekiel 16. Please, what I'm about to show you will help you. And I pray it renews your mind so you can become grateful and live a happier and more satisfied life. Not because you have everything, but because you have him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Did you hear what I said? Not because you have what? Everything, but because you have him. Then you will appreciate what the Bible says. Let your life be without covetousness and be content with such thing as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake you. There are some of you, when the prayer does not address your selfishness, you, are, you disconnect. Your amen is absent-minded. You forget that you have to live first before you have to have things. Is that not true? Did you hear what I just said? Have you been praying? You said, I pray, Father, we thank you for your goodness. Amen. We, we thank you for what you've done in our life. We just thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness. Amen. In fact, you better say, Afana. I pray 24-hour miracle. Amen! Selfish person. That's why you're not growing. That's why even the things you are getting doesn't last in your hand. Because let me tell you something. Everything God created is slippery. The only, the only way to hold it is Christ. Did you hear what I said? Because Christ is everything. Did you hear what I said? If you want to hold anything, whether fame, position, power, 
outside Christ, nah, draw, draw, you won't hold it well. You won't last. Did you hear what I said? All right. Ezekiel 16, verse 17 to verse 19. Listen to what God said. And I believe this is a message for us too. Ezekiel 16, verse 17 to 19. Thou hast also taken thy fair jewel. Fair jewels of my gold. Please notice the emphasis. My gold. God is talking about the people have turned away from him who blessed them to the blessing. They are now focused on the blessing instead of the blesser. Hello? They, they, and, and, and they've become so ungrateful that the things God gave them, they are now using it as a tool against the God who gave them. Listen to what he said. Thus also taking thy fair jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given thee, and made to thyself, what? Images of men. You are not using my blessing as an idol in your life. You were nothing when I picked you. Nobody knew your name. Now I have blessed you. I have favored you. And my blessing and favor has now become defense or the war between me and you. You remember you, you never missed prayer meeting when nothing was working for you. Where you had nothing. To pray was a delight. To experience God with. Now, the blessing has come. You can't pray because you are busy with meetings. That's what God is telling them. He said, you've taken the jewels that, that I gave to you from the gold I supplied to your life. And you have now used it to make image, to replace my image. Listen to this. And did this commit hordom? Hordom has to do with intercourse and intimacy. So what God was saying is, I am no longer close to you anymore. You are not closer to the things I gave you. You are not closer to the favors I gave you. You are not more attached to men that I brought into your life when nobody knew you. And me, who gave you that, I am not important anymore. You are not busy with what you couldn't find before you met me. But I brought it into your life and now you don't have time for me. The very thing I gave you is not the reason you are complaining and worrying about, and I'm not important anymore. That's what God is saying. Look at what he said. He said, verse 18, and tookest thy broidered garment, and coverest them, and thou hast set mine oil and my incense before them. Verse 19, my meat also which I gave you. Meat has to do with food, provision. My fine flour and oil and honey, that's prosperity. Therewith I fed you Thou hast even set it before them for a sweet savour, and thus it was, saith the Lord. Let me show you another scripture. Go to Hosea 2, verse 8. Hosea chapter 2, and verse 8. Hallelujah. Hosea 2, verse 8 and 9. God repeated this thing again to the prophet. When I read this yesterday, I was like, Oh God, oh Father God. Let nothing that you have given me in my life take your place in my heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Did you hear what I just said? Because if the truth be told, many of us in church are guilty of self-idolatry. That's one reason we're ungrateful. We don't thank God. We're busy with stuff. We're busy with stuff. 
Hosea 2, 8 and 9. He said, for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied, watch this, I multiplied as silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Did you get what God is saying here? He said, I, I multiplied their money. Silver and gold means money. I blessed them. I increased their wealth. Now they are not using what I gave them and blessed them with to serve Baal. Look at verse 9. It says, therefore, I will return and I will take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover your nakedness. Let me show you two Testament, New Testament examples. Go to Luke 17, verse 15 and verse 18. There are many of you, sometimes I'll speak under the anointing and I say somebody got healed. And you know you got healed. And you will never come and say, thank you. You just keep quiet. You know you went in the step. Then you want me to just tell one person, ah, the other day I was in church. Oh, there was this pain that was disturbing me. When pastor just said this, boah, the thing left me. But you never came. And I said, if you know something happened, you come and thank God. This is another ingratitude war that many believers are guilty of. They take for granted what God has done for them. Can we go there? Luke 17, 15 to verse 18. Ten lepers came to Jesus. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. On their way there, they all got cleansed. They were healed. Out of the ten, only one. That's what ingratitude does. Being unthankful. It is God now you will understand. And one of them, verse 15, Luke 7, 17, verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed. What did the Bible say? When he saw that he was what? He was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice, loud voice, you cannot be thanking God and be sleeping. Loud voice, that means he was, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. With a loud voice, glorified God. What is loud? Loud. Verse 16. And fell down on his face. The man remembered all the shame. Because if you were a leprous man, you were a stigma to your family and society. People, when you come and you're passing the street, you have to shout, unclean, unclean. And they will avoid you like, like feces, like, like someone who is a waste. In fact, when they look at you, they don't see any future around you. They don't see... Anything that can happen. Because even the leprosy, the virus that causes leprosy is so bad that it can eat up the limbs of the people. It can eat up their fingers. It can eat up their toes. In some cases, it's extreme and the person eventually die. And people who are condemned to leprosy as of that time, there was no cure. These ten men had walked as a public shame and disgrace for holy God knows how long. And one day they met Jesus and Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. On their way there, these 10 leprous people who had been plagued with leprosy for a very long time got instantly healed. And out of 10, only one. The remaining nine represents humanity today. There are many of you who are refusing to thank God because of the things that are not, have not yet happened and you ignore the things that have happened. So ungrateful. 
fell down on his feet and his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a Jewish man. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said, were there not ten? Now, I hope you know when Jesus speaks, he's revealing the heart of the Father. Because it's a revelation of the Father. He said, were there not ten? In other words, Jesus was a, God was expecting, he was expecting them to come and say, thank you. He said, were there not ten of you? I remember when I, my, my spirit moved in the service, your headache left, your waist pain left, your leg pain left, the door opened, you had favor. Were there not ten of you? But where are the nine? Verse 18. They are not found that returned to give God glory, serve this stranger. There's an unhealthy familiarity you have with God and his servant. That you begin to take for granted. Maybe just because you know a few things about them. And you know a few things about God. You start taking for granted what God is doing. Through the life of his servant. And you start taking for granted what God is doing. In your life. You commonize it. Oh, just give God praise. Thank God. Let me show you one more place then. We'll begin to look at the reasons why we should thank God. Go to Acts 12. Verse 21 and 24. This is another area many of us fall victim of. And we need to be careful because there is a war of ingratitude. And Satan is using the weapon of unthankfulness to pollute the hearts of men so he can corner men to a place of pride where they become lovers of themselves and remain ungrateful. Nothing, you can never please a selfish man. What did I say? You can never please a selfish woman. You can never please a selfish man. No matter what you do. Uh, uh, someone, my, uh, my friend Mena, his wife shared a video with me uh, a very pretty woman looking, you know, was talking. He said, I just discovered that after one year, and it was the husband that was doing the video. He said, after one year, I've just found out that my husband does not love me. Ah. Then the man said, uh, excuse me, what do you mean? He said, I just realized that after one year, my husband doesn't like, love me. And the man said, How do you, what, what do you mean? He said, yes. He said, I'm convinced now that after one year of marriage, he doesn't love me. Guess what she meant? He said, because he refused to buy me a Range Rover. Then the man stopped the video. He said, excuse me, I didn't take court. Uh, did you hear that? And when she was talking, you could see the seriousness, the pain of her selfishness. She said, my husband doesn't love me. Because after one year, he didn't buy a Range Rover for me. Ah. That's how some of us are. Lord, I've been serving you for a very long time. See my life. See where I did. You are God. You are eternal. You don't age. Me at the age. See where. See I'm now. Not where I did. See what did happen. See I'm. Marry. I never marry. Even walk. You not get ahead. Everything. Landlord, they worry me. Everything. Uh, hey, hey. Acts chapter 12, verse 21. Are you there? Acts 12. I mean, you just stay with me. Are you ready to thank God today? Acts 12, 21. Quickly. And upon a set day, Herod was a king then, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an what? He made what? Oration. I mean, he gave a speech. Very good speech. Verse 22. And the people gave a shout saying, wow, it is the voice of a God. 
in the first place, this man wasn't even saved. He started, he started playing into God's side. Enter God's lane. Tell your neighbor, say, leave God's lane. No. He started playing into God's lane. Say, it's the voice of a God. I'm not a man. Whoa. And he began to lap it up. Be very careful when people praise you. What did I say? Because they can put trouble in your life. The trouble that began between David and Saul was caused by women. Those women with their big mouth. Hey, Saul has killed his 1,000. David has killed his... They were singing it all over the town. I don't know who those men, but they were troublesome people. You are, you are a king is in charge. David is a boy. And you are opening your mouth to say, the king that is in charge has killed how many? 1,000. Then his boy has killed 10,000. Ah. But that's how selfish people think. They only think about their interest. That's all. And then so say, hey, so if David killed 10, I killed one. That means you don't collect the throne. From there, or not to those women, that was where David's problem started. And Saul started haunting him. This man was being praised and he was being equated in his voice like a God. And God judged him. Look at the next verse. What did he say, verse 23? And immediately, everybody say immediately. They immediately, the angel of the Lord smote him. This happened in the New Testament, the case for your information. And because he gave not what? Why, why was he smote? He gave not God the glory. Now, and I learned a wisdom. If you have a business that you don't give God glory, mm, angel will strike it. Hello? I did this well. What did I say? Anything in your life you refuse to give glory, you set it up for being smoten or struck. Because what you're saying is like God said in the Old Testament, you've taken the gold I gave you. The silver I multiplied, the jewels, and you've used it to make images to replace me. Who gave you? I picked you when you were nobody. Now it's not difficult to tell me thank you. In fact, you, you never even tell God thank you with another. Oh, Father God, just thank you. Bless you. God <laughs> said, Me. It's me you are thanking like this. Because you are wearing one fine shoe and you are driving a nice car. You are not thanking me like this. Ah, okay. We will see. Bible says God resisted the proud, but he gave grace to the humble. He still does it too. I hope you know. He said it from Genesis to Revelation. God has a personal problem with people who are proud. He said, and an angel smote him because he did not give God the glory. And that's what being unthankful does. Being unthankful causes us to steal God's glory. Jesus said, were there not ten of you? Where is the other nine? How come it's only one that has come to return glory? Ask your neighbor, have you been returning the glory or have you been collecting it? Ask your neighbor. Whenever you are not thankful, you are stealing it. And if you are stealing it, the angel is coming. You better be sure because before he gets there, give God the glory. What did I say? Don't ever use anything, whether it's a talent or a skill, to replace God. I, I see a lot of people do that all day. And, and that's why you see them, they go up and they come down. You know, they, they use their talent, use their, their looks, their figure, you know, 
and, and they use that, they blow, they become very popular. But as they go, they come down. Check history. Same thing. Because when men don't thank God, they go down. What did I say? Okay, good. Ingratitude or being unthankful is pride. Write it down. Being ungrateful is what? It's pride. When to thank God is becoming expensive. I, I watch some of you when we do end of month Thanksgiving. Well, is it because is it about money? It's about your heart. Some of you no plan. It's not in your mind. And you probably don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. And that's what I'm showing you from the word of God. Ingratitude is pride. It is stealing the glory that belongs to God. The honor that belongs to God. One of the things I teach my children is if anybody gives you anything, what do you say? Thank you. Two things, respect and gratitude. When, they, when I come in with them to somewhere and I notice they've not greeted, I say, have you greeted so and so? I say, open your mind and greet. You teach them respect. I grew up with respect. If I enter your office, I will never sit down until you tell me to sit down. That's why I grew up. I have an egg break, cross leg. They even pull leg for table. That's how lousy some of you are. I will never do that. I said, please. Ah, say, please, Naparo, sit down. I said, thank you. It's called respect. That's how some of us are towards God. You ask, hey, Papa, are you carry electro for us? Hey, have fun. Look, you know, that other prayer you have not answered you to. I said, but what of the one I've answered? Have you thanked me? Okay, thank you. Hey, the one I was saying. That's how we behave. And we think it doesn't count. It counts. It counts. Why should we... Okay, let me, let me say this. Many are failing here in the area of ingratitude because their strength is small or weak. The only way to beat ingratitude or being unthankful is with the knowledge of the truth concerning why should we thank the Lord. Say, I hear you. If you don't know why you should thank God, you will always be a victim of being unthankful, being ungrateful. You will convert the blessings of God into your life and make, use them to make idols or images in your life. They will now become the reason why even God himself can't reach you. Because the Holy Spirit, come, my son, my daughter, wake up praying. Now. Lord, uh -uh, did you see I was busy during the day? Managing too many things. Let me sleep. Tomorrow morning I will pray. And by the time you wake up tomorrow morning, the damage has been done. Why should we thank God? Number one, write it down. It is our priestly responsibility. I'm going to rush through this. Why should we thank God? It is our priestly. Everybody say priestly. Every one of us know who a priest is. I don't need to describe it. You've seen a priest. Juju priest or one priest or the other. But that concept of priesthood was stolen from God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the Bible says in Revelations 1.5 that when we got born again, God made us kings and priests unto him. Say, I'm a king to God. And I'm a priest to God. As a king, when you got born again, God made you as a king because he gave you power to rule through the name of Jesus. You are to rule over the affairs of life. That's what the Bible called dominion. That's why you are a king. You are not supposed to be overcome by life. You are supposed to overcome life. Say amen. 1 John 5, 4 says, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Why? Because in Christ you are made a king and a king rules. A king dominates. Say, I'm a king unto God. And Jesus is called the prince of the kings of the earth. It's in Revelations 1, verse 5 and 6. 
But you also made a priest. Who is a priest? A priest, write this down, is simply one who ministers to God and ministers for God. A priest has two functions. Ministers to God and ministers for God. That's what you are. The day you got born again. Remember when Jesus told the woman, the time is coming where the true worshippers of God will do what? Will worship God in what? In spirit and in truth. For God seeketh such to worship him. In order to fulfill that, God made all who are saved to become priests. So we can worship God in spirit and in truth and then minister for him. Say, I hear you. See, the order of a true functional priesthood is to have a healthy flow with God so it can have a healthy flow to, towards people. If your priesthood ministry, your worship between you and God is not effective, then your ministry for him will not be effective. Because when you minister to him, you secure the grace to minister for him. Am I making any sense? Now, let, let me say this. Let me say this. Now, as priests, we minister to God and for him through what the Bible describes as sacrifices. A priest cannot function without a sacrifice. How many of you know that? You already know that from even watching African magic. When they go and meet a native doctor, a juju priest, he will say, bring uh, offerings. Is that not so? Offerings are sacrifices they make. They use it to offer to whatever they are, they are representing, whatever deity that they are representing. Now, as priests of God, we minister to God through sacrifices. Everybody say sacrifices. I didn't hear you. Say sacrifices. Now, these sacrifices have been made available and acceptable through the finished work of Christ. Let me read this passage of the Bible for you. First Peter 2, if you can go there, fine. First Peter 2, verse 5 and verse 9. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when you're born again, you've been made a priest and you've been given the ability to offer acceptable sacrifices unto God. Say amen. Now, this is what the sacrifice do, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of what? Darkness unto his marvelous light. In other words, as you offer these sacrifices, you are declaring the praise of God that is a good God. Say amen. amen. Are you hearing me? So why should you thank God? Now, hear this. As we offer these sacrifices, we show forth the praise of God. The word praise means the honor, celebrating the goodness of God. See, I hear you. So, and one of the sacrifices we offer as priests unto God is the sacrifice of praise. See, I hear you. Remember, there are spiritual sacrifices. And Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are what? Spirit and life. Hebrews 13, 15 says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. So praising God is your priestly responsibility. And one of those sacrifices of praise is the giving of thanks. Say, I hear you. So why do we thank God? It is my responsibility as a priest to bring the sacrifice of praise. And that is the fruit of my lips. Doing what? Giving thanks unto his name. Have you thanked him for his name? Or you only thank God when there is physical stuff, then that means you're lacking in your priestly responsibility because you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood. God has made you a holy company of people so you can offer thanks to his. Have you thanked him today? Have you thanked him for his name? Have you thanked him today? That's the first reason why we should thank him. Number two, 
Why should we thank God? It is the will of God for us to give thanks. What did I say? Everybody's not saying that. Can you say that loud? The first reason for thanking God is my priestly responsibility. Number two, it is the will of God for me to do what? To give thanks. Please hear this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, in everything. What do you do? I'm not hearing you. Did he say in some things? But this is the catch. Watch this. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Please notice, there are two powerful statements in this verse. The first one is, in everything, give thanks. What does everything mean? Everything. No exception. All things. Is that not so? Now, these things could refer to persons, places, situations, circumstances, or anything. Is that not so? The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. Now, the second statement is, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Somebody shout glory here. Glory! Now, listen to this. When God says that something is his will for you, what does that mean? Pay attention to this. I don't want you to miss this. When God says something is his will for you, what does it mean? Let me explain. Very simple. When God says that something is his will for you, it means that he intended, designed us, and built us to function that way. When something is his will, that means that's the way he created you. That's the way he designed you to operate and to function. You were built to give thanks. It is in your design. You didn't hear what I said. It's in your makeup. It's in your makeup to be grateful. Did you hear what I said? So whenever the devil is trying to bait you to be ungrateful, he's trying to get you to rebel against your makeup or against God's will for your life. Did you hear what I said? And the devil is trying to use the senses, trying to use the situation and to convince you otherwise that you should be ungrateful and that you should have a reason to give. And God says, I've given you all the reason. It is my will for you to give thanks in everything. See, I hear you. Please listen to this. In other words, the giving of thanks is our lifestyle. It's what? It's as normal as our breathing. Say, I hear you. It is one of the ways that God has ordained for us to walk as his workmanship or handiwork. Remember in Philippians, Ephesians 2.10, it says, um, how do you put it? It says, for we are God's workmanship. What is workmanship? Handiwork. Just like the handiwork of a carpenter. Is that not true? A bed is a handiwork of a carpenter or a workmanship. The chair you are sitting on was created by someone. That's his handiwork or workmanship. Now, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has ordained before that we should walk in there. One of the good works God has ordained for you to walk is in the giving of thanks. Did you hear what I said? It's his will. It's a will for you. So when you are not thankful, you are going against his will. You're going against his plan and design for your life. Hear me, brothers and sisters. We have been saved into a life of gratitude. We are to develop the habit of always giving thanks in all things, not because of the things, but because it is the will of God for us to give thanks in the thing. You didn't hear what I said. We are not giving thanks because the things is bad or the things is good. We are giving thanks because it is the will of God for me to do what? To give thanks. It does not do whether the situation is good 
or the situation is bad. It is just God's way for me to what? Give thanks. Then you will understand and say, now we know that all things work together for good to them that love him and to them who are they called according to his purpose. And brothers and sisters, that purpose has made me a lifestyle of thanksgiving. I just thank him. I just thank him. Hallelujah. This is why Satan is afraid. Now please listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Our gratitude lifestyle in Christ forbids us to worry. Tell your neighbor, say you are forbidden to worry. You see all this impatience we have. All this impatience. This hurry, hurry. Everybody say hurry, hurry. And it's you don't look time. This hurry, hurry. It's, it's, it's because Satan has started convincing you to act against your design. Do you know you are built not to, you are built in such a way that nothing will worry you? Our being worried is importing a lifestyle that is not part of our makeup. We are the one putting that jada God didn't give you. So if you are depressed and worried, you borrowed a foreign life to the life that he has given to you in Christ. Because the life he gave you to in Christ forbids you to worry, forbids you to complain. Did you hear what I said? And it forbids you to murmur. The Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 14 and 15, it says, do all things without murmuring. What does murmuring mean? It means to grumble. It means to complain. It's something you do secretly in your mind. That's your murmuring. You're complaining internally. It's having what they call uh, a secret displeasure that you are not making known, but you know. You know that some people, they, they, are, they, they say they are stubborn inside. What they mean is, they don't show it, but you will know that this person is stubborn. That's what the Bible says. He said, don't do that. He said, do all things without murmuring. Verse 15, and also disputing. What is disputing? It means to have internal reasoning. That points you towards the area of doubt and unbelief. Any reasoning in your mind that will make you doubtful and worried, God said, kill it. So that's not what I built you for. Then 15. He said that you may be blameless, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In other words, when you complain, what is not supposed to touch you will not touch you. What is not supposed to happen to you will not happen to you. Because you will not be blameless anymore. If you remain grateful, you remain blameless. Satan may mess around you, but he can't touch you. But once you begin to complain, you make yourself touchable. You allow Satan to interfere in the affairs of your life. That's what ingratitude or being unthankful does. Number four. Number three. Why should we thank God? It is good to give thanks. Say amen. amen. What did I say? It is good. Psalm 92 verse 1 says, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. It is a good thing. The scripture underscores the fact that it is good. The word good means proper, fitting, beneficial to give thanks. Glory to God. This also implies that it is not good not to give thanks. Hello? It is what? Not good. If it is good to give thanks, what does that tell you? It is not good not to give thanks. Is that not true? Yeah, that's what it means. This also implies that it's not good to not give thanks. It is our character. It is out of character and conduct for the believer to be unthankful. You are acting out of character. You are playing a role that is against what Christ, what you were built to function in Christ. 
That's why when you have people that are very always complaining, they are not good employees. They will bring the company down. They are always complaining, complaining, complaining. They will not see any good, always complaining. Those such people, they'll bring them down. Bible says from such, turn away. When you have so, a friend, anytime you go and see him, complain. Nigeria is useless. I am useless. Very soon you will say you are useless. All right? Another reason why it's good to give thanks to God is because God is good. Say, I hear you. Is God not good? Oh, it's good. When he gave man the word, he gave him in a very good condition. Is that not true? All right. It's good. All right. Number four. Why should we give thanks? Because of what he has done. Say amen. amen. I didn't hear everybody say amen. amen. Why should we thank God again? Because of what? What he has done. Say what he has done. Now, what he has done can be looked at in two ways. Number one, what he has done for us in Christ. That's the first one. Hallelujah. All right, what he has done for you, which is the finished work of Calvary. It's an eternal reason to give thanks for because it is the bedrock or the foundation of the goodness of God that has been demonstrated to humanity through Christ. What Christ has done is enough reason to give God thanks forever. As a matter of fact, when we're done with time and we step into eternity, is it going to be a reason why thanksgiving is being offered? Read the book of Revelations. It's there. Even in the throne, thanksgiving is being given to God because of the finished work of Christ. Thank God. Say, praise the Lord for the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Is that not true? It's there. So we thank him for what he's done for us in Christ. All right? Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saint in life. And where does that inheritance come from? From the finished work of Christ. God has done and given to us in Christ all things that pertains to life and godliness. So we thank him for blessing us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Say amen. We thank him for protecting and preserving us in Christ. Say amen. We thank him for prosperity and divine health. Say amen. amen. Because all these things has been done for us in Christ. Say amen. amen. All right. Then the second way to look at what God has done for us is that we can view what God has done for us from the perspective of what his power is doing in our lives today. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What his power is doing in our life today. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Say with me. Say there is a power in, at work in me right now. And it is the power of the Holy Ghost. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So there is a power to do that is at work in you. Say good amen. amen. So I thank him for what he has done for me in Christ. And I thank you for what he's doing in my life. Say amen. amen. I say are you here? Say amen. amen. So when, when, when you notice uh, healing manifest in your body, you give him thanks. You don't keep it to yourself. You give him thanks. We must learn to make a habit of not taking for granted the need to always give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. Let's not be like the nine leper that withdrew gratitude to God for personal and private reasons. Number five, the final reason. Why should we thank God? Write this down. It is the key to supernatural increase. Everybody says supernatural increase. Increase is not only a natural phenomenon. Increase is also a spiritual phenomenon. Do you understand that? 
Hello? Did you hear what I just said? Increase is not just a natural phenomenon. Increase is also what? A spiritual phenomenon. Time will not allow me, but let me cite one cases in the Bible. We're going to look at what Jesus did. In the Old Testament where God sent Elijah to meet a widow that was at Zarephath, and she had only a handful of meal for herself and her son. And told, he said, go meet that woman, I've commanded her to feed you. Now, there was no physical meeting between her and God or any meeting between her and God. But in destiny, God has supernaturally placed his power to supply the needs of Elijah through that woman. And that woman believed and connected by faith. And that food that was not enough lasted them for one, one year. That was supernatural increase. It wasn't the increase that came from farm. Hello? They planted seed. They now harvested it. You know, what you plant, what you will harvest will be, will be bigger than what you planted. Is that not true? That's natural increase. But there is what is called supernatural increase. And thanksgiving is what regulates it. There was a situation that happened during Jesus. Watch this. Thanksgiving is key to supernatural increase. Have you found yourself in a very tight corner? A limiting situation? A not enough situation? What do you do? Do you complain or do you give thanks? Let's see what Jesus did. Quickly, everybody. Matthew 15, verse 32 to verse 38. Quickly, quickly. Are you learning anything this morning? I'm teaching you something for life. Amen? I'm teaching you something for what? For life. Matthew 15, 32 to 38. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting lest they faint on the way. And his disciples said unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to feel so great a multitude. That means there were a lot of people. Verse 34, and Jesus said, how many loaves have you? <laughs> and I can imagine what the disciples said. Watch this. Um, and they said, seven? You know that kind of seven? You will not say the seven with assurance or convenience. Seven? Then you say, why are you even asking me? I just told you we don't have money to buy food for everybody. And you're asking me, what do we have? Like, seven. Let me prove to you what I said is true. Look at what he said. And he said, seven. And a few, 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 few fish. <laughs> and he commanded them, commanded the money to sit down on the ground. And Jesus did something. And I want to teach you a principle. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes. He didn't call it few. He called it fishes. What did he do? He gave thanks. The moment he gave that, something shifted in the spirit and shifted into the natural and break them and gave to his disciples. Go and give to them. And the disciples, without thinking, collected it and started sharing. They were sharing. If you give it, the thing will come out. They give you bread, it will come out. They give you fish. They were not, they were not thinking. They were just saying, give. As they were given, before they knew, they had fed thousands of people with seven loaves and few fishes, according to them. That was not normal. That was not human. That was supernatural. Did you hear what I said? And break them and give to them and disciples to the multitude. And they did it. He only gave us the number of men. How many of them? Four thousand. Do you know what four thousand is? It's like this whole room of Dara. And I think room of Dara is even up to 4,000. Fed them with seven loaves and few fish. Now, this is what I want you to get. And please get this. Notice Jesus took the 
seven loaves and few fishes according to the disciples, which was obviously not enough. It wasn't enough. By any mathematical standard, it was, even if you break the bread into small, small pinches, eh? it, it's not possible to feed even one, ten, only ten, with those hungry-looking hungry looking men. That's why they counted them, hungry-looking men. Four thousand. In fact, they will feel insulted. Excuse me, what are you doing? Even the pinch, the pinch will not be enough. All right? The normal human rational or logical response is to complain given the largeness or the enormity of the need before. Jesus, what are you doing? They, we don't even have enough money in our treasury to buy food for them. We can't even feed 100 people. We're not talking of thousands. All right? However, Jesus' act of gratitude represented two things or two principles that he revealed to humanity. And if you understand that, it will change your life. And I've practiced them, and it works. Act represented two things despite the situation, and those two things, write this down, number one, point of contact. Everybody say point of contact. Write it down, say point of contact. Jesus' act of gratitude represented two things. One, point of contact, and number two, write this down, exchange. Point of contact and point of exchange. Jesus' gratitude represented two things. When he gave thanks, two things happened. His gratitude represented a point of contact and a point of exchange. We all agree here that what they had couldn't feed everybody. Do you need any mathematics to prove that one? Is it possible for seven loaves and few fishes? I, I, I kind of have this impression the few could mean maybe not up to seven. It's not also, it's possible. Few means small. Is that not so? You can say seven loaves and small fishes. So we all know, physically speaking, it's not possible for that to feed all the multitude that were there. But Jesus fed them with it. Why? Because there was supernatural increase that happened. And what triggered the supernatural participation and increase? Everybody say gratitude. gratitude. Someone say giving of thanks. Now, watch this. Jesus' gratitude as a point of contact. Watch this. Jesus' gratitude used the seven loaf and few fishes as a raw material seed to produce more. You didn't hear what I said. When you thank God for what is not enough, it becomes more than enough. You didn't hear what I said. I said when you thank God for what is not enough, what does it become? It becomes what? More than enough. Because when Jesus held those seven bread, to you it was seven. But the moment he gave thanks, it wasn't seven anymore. You didn't hear what I said. When he took the loaf and offered it to God with gratitude, to God it became a point of contact. It, is, it was no longer seven loaf and because if it was seven loaf, it can't feed them. But once gratitude touched it, it converted it to something else. It converted what was not enough to more than enough. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Please listen to me. Jesus Gratitude used the seven loaves and few fishes as the raw materials it needed to produce the more that was needed. Are you getting that? Now, not only that, a seed will produce a harvest. Is that not true? But a seed needs to be sown in a soil for it to produce a harvest. The natural soil has its own principle. But what Jesus did when he thanked God, he planted that seven loaves and few fishes in the power of God. 
You didn't hear what I said. He planted it in the abundance of God and triggered God's abundance to speak. So the soil on which those seven loaves and few fishes went was the soil of God's abundance. Are you listening to what I'm saying? As an exchange, his gratitude disconnected him from the insufficiency of the natural and connected him with the provision of the sufficiency of the Father's abundance. Did you hear what I said? That is why when we allow the insufficiency of things, situation, or circumstance to get us to complain, instead of giving thanks, we remain limited to the point of lack. Some of you, I've lost some of you. Some of you are not here anymore. Did you hear what I just said? When you complain instead of thanking God, you know what you're doing? You validate the lack and it stays lack. But when you give thanks, you shift your focus from the lack and you put it on the abundance of God that can take what to your eyes is not enough and they will be supernaturally multiplied and will become more than enough. Somebody shout glory. Somebody shout glory. <laughs> Let me show you one more scripture. Jeremiah 30 verse 19. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving. I love this. Out of them shall proceed time. Because in the spirit realm, thanksgiving is a multiplier. What did I say? And complaining is a subtractor. When you complain, bam, even the one that is not enough becomes more, become more than, more than, more than not enough. That's what happens. That's why people who, comp who complain, they don't grow. Who look for complaint? They're always complaining about something. Nothing. Anything you complain about, you curse with your mouth. It will stay that way. But once you give thanks, you remove it from your hand. And you put it in the hand of God. And how many of you know that with God, all things are possible. Out of them, Jeremiah 13, 19. May you not forget the scripture. Shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make it merry. And I will multiply them. And they shall not be few. I will glorify them. They shall not be small. Write this down. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to list them. How do we give thanks? Number one, words. Everybody say words. Our words are the first sacrifice of praise. Our words are acceptable sacrifice when released under the inspiration of the word of God. We can proclaim them. We can sing them. And we can shout them. You can sing praise. You can speak praise. And you can, you can shout praise. Do you understand that? When you shout, it means, it's a, it's, it's, it's a means of offering praise to God through words. So you can shout words, you can sing words, and you can proclaim words. So whenever they are making declarations, don't play with it. Whenever they are singing, don't play with it. Whenever they say shout, do not play with it. Number two, lifting of our hands. When they say let us lift our hands, some of you think we are punishing you like they do students in school. The lifting of the hands is one of the ways we give God thanks. Psalm 141 verse 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. When you lift up your hands, it, it speaks in the spirit realm. When Moses lifted up his hands, the, the children of Israel began to win the war. So you, you offer God thanks by the lifting up of your hands. Nehemiah 8, 6 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord or gave thanks. The great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. With lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their head and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Nehemiah 8, 6. The third way you give thanks is in a dance. Everybody say dance. Everybody say dance. 
2 Samuel 6, 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. Giving thanks. Dance. Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise his name in the dance. In the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and with harp. So the third way we give God thanks is in the dance. Number four. Substance. Everybody says substance. Our substance is an expression of our gratitude, honor to God. Remember what happened in Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, verse 3 to verse 5? The difference between the offering of Cain and Abel was that the one that um, Cain gave, he didn't think, he just collected anything he could find. It didn't come from his heart. But the one that Abel gave, Abel took time and selected the best of his first fruit. And gave it. And it was because of the mind behind what he gave that God honored this offering and rejected that of Cain. So, to God, offering is about, tell the number says, more about your heart than what you have in your hand. Let me read it this way for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to verse 8. Write it down. And this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he proposes in his heart. He has already told you. If you propose spirally and give spirally, what will you reap? Spirally. If you propose bountifully and give bountifully, what will you reap? Bountifully. Let every man according as he proposes in his so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful means a giver with joy rejoicing, gratitude. Now you know why you should thank God. And that should motivate and inspire what you're giving through your substance. Then he says in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good works. And let me add to substance. One of the ways also we can honor the Lord with our substance is to give it to those that do not have. Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according to his need. There are some people I have, I told my wife, because she's my wife, I sent her some list of some people I've not blessed before, and I want to bless them. I'm, I'm also going to give all the head and assistant my books. And each of the books costs money to print. So I'm actually giving you not money. I'm also giving you the revelation, intellectual rights that God has given to me to you. And also, apart from that, because it's coming from me, it's coming with an impartation. You understand that? So you, you, when I say prepare, I didn't need to stress that. The genuity of your heart will make you prepare. If you didn't prepare, it's not your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, because I've already given the instruction. Because there are some people, they will not do anything. Why? Because it's just their heart. Even if it's a biro or a rich, say, ah, please, I want to give you a recharge card. Take 200 naira. To God, it's, it's powerful. You know, you remember the widow's mind? Everybody was throwing offering. She was watching the way people were giving. Then one woman came and dropped two mites. She said, this woman has given more than everybody. Why? Because it came from where? Her heart. Others were giving out of the abundance. They were young. And the way they were even putting it, you know, when you want to show off, there's a way you hold the money. You want everyone to know you're giving dollar. You'll be doing it like this. Then you not like you not pretend like he fell. So everybody will not know it's hundred dollar. You are fu- you are fooling yourself. You are fooling yourself. God will just look at this. And 
Not every offering, let me shock, shock you. Not every offering God accepts. He said, I don't want you to give me out of grudge. Don't give me out. You're not helping. Necessity means I'm helping the church. I'm helping the pastor. Help who? Can you help yourself? God said, don't do that. He said, I love people who give cheerfully. They are, hey, I'm going to be a blessing to somebody. Even if it's biro or shoe or belt, the fact that you thought about it and you give it, God will cause grace to abound towards you. And can I say this? It doesn't begin with money to give. It begins with heart. I didn't become a giver by money. I had a heart. I was willing. And I've noticed that anywhere anybody is willing, God will provide. And there are some of us, it's selfishness. You've turned yourself into a perpetual collector. You won't grow that way. It's more blessed to give than what? And to receive. Finally, the fifth way you give thanks is in tongues. Everybody says speaking in tongues. First Corinthians 14, 16. We can also give thanks through speaking in tongues. As when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupied the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks? Seeing he understanding what he says. So in other words, you can, when you pray in tongues, you can also thank God in tongues. So those are the fifth way. What's the first way you give thanks? Very good. What is the second way? Very good. What is the third way? Very good. What is the fourth way? What is the fifth way? All right. Why should we give thanks? First one. For those who wrote, they will know. There are those who didn't write, who was waiting for the sermon to end. You will not know. What is the first reason we should give thanks? It's a precious responsibility. What is the second reason? It's the will of God. We're built that way. What is the third reason? It's good to give thanks. We give thanks to God because it's good, it's fitting, it's proper, and God is good. Hallelujah. That for me alone is enough reason why I give God thanks. Number four, what's the fourth reason why we give thanks? God of what Jesus has done for us in Christ and for what his power is doing in our life today. Number five, the key to supernatural and the why? Because gratitude represents a point of, point of, very good, and point of, it takes your not enough, put it in the hand of the God who is more than enough and blesses that. Say amen. So it doesn't matter any stagnation you have in your life. Once you begin to thank God and stop complaining, it will turn around. Did you hear what I said? Anything, test it. If you doubt me, go and test it. Anything that you feel is not working, just begin to thank God for you. You'll be shocked what will happen. Rise up on your feet. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Are you ready to bless the name of the Lord? All right. Can you put into practice what you've just learned? Just open your mouth and take the next just one minute and just appreciate God. Hallelujah. Thank him, thank him, thank him. Glory to God. You are worthy, Lord. There is no one like you. Alpha and Omega. There is no one like you. You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. There is no one like you. Alpha and Omega. We say there is no. See, after you hear a message like this, your some some things should be rewired in your mind, rewired in your behavior, rewired in your attitude. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Can we lift up our hands and just thank him? You are worthy, Lord. Come on, everybody. There is no one like you. Alpha and Omega. 
We say there is no. Sing it from your heart. You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. There is no one like you. Yes, Lord. Alpha and Omega. We say there is no one like Oh, you are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. Oh, Lord. There is no one like you. Alpha, Alpha and Omega. We say there is no one. Now, now, hear me. I want you to lift up your hands on behalf of you, your family, everything around you, in the, in the church, and thank God from January to December. There were so many things you didn't thank him for. You took for granted. Many people have died this year, but you did it. You are not only alive, you are alive and you are well. You are not in the hospital under admission. You traveled, you went by air, you went by land, you went by sea. Either of them. You went safely and you came back safely. None of your children is on admission. None of your family members is on admission. I want you to open your mind and let him know you're grateful. Lord, we've come to return the glory to you from January to December. Any area we've taken for granted, Lord, we repent and we bring our gratitude to you. Thank you for good health. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for protection. Thank you for preservation. Thank you for being good. We give you all the praise and the glory. Hey, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We give you thanks, O God. Thank you for divine health. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for protection. Thank you for provision. We give you all the praise and the glory. You deserve it. Thank you for the Refuge House Church. Thank you for lives that have been reached and ministered to by the Word of God. Thank you for those that have been healed. Thank you for those that have been delivered. Thank you for those that have been protected and preserved. Thank you for those you've watched over, oh God. We give you all the praise and the glory. We give you for those you've added to the assembly. We return the praise and the glory back to you, oh God. Open your mouth and thank him. Open your mouth and thank him. Open your mouth and thank him. If you don't know what to say, there's praying tongues. Oh, every area will take in your goodness for granted. We'll return the glory back to you in the name of Jesus. We'll return the glory back to you in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. You are going to pray this prayer. Lord, cleanse every filthiness of murmuring and disputing from my life. That, that habit of complaining, of always seeing the bad side to everything, complaining, complaining, complaining. Lord, is a filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Lord, cleanse me from every filthiness of murmuring and complaining. Any area I have murmured, Father, cleanse me. Because I know the blood speaks. Cleanse me from every habit of complaining. Any small thing you started complaining. 
You blame Nigeria. You blame everybody. And also ask him to give you grace to avoid companies of complainers, murmurers, who are always looking for the bad side in everything. They always have a bad version to everything, complaining version to everything. Open your mind and pray that prayer right now. And please do that. Ushers, make sure you are praying. No, don't say because you are doing ushering, you are not praying. Media, make sure you are praying. Lord, cleanse us from every attitude of complaining. Murmuring. Murmuring. Blaming situation and circumstance. When we have a God who is more than enough. Lord, cleanse us, oh God. Cleanse us. Cleanse us. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Then you're going to pray next. Lord, any image I have built in my life. Thank you for joining us today. Your generosity helps us to take this message to the ends of the earth. You can give on our website at www.therefugehc.org. So go ahead and click on the link in the description. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this.